Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 574. It's Monday, December 20th, 2010. That means we're five days away from Christmas, and for for some of you folks... You pay attention to things like the changing of the seasons and moving officially into winter. We're one day away from the winter solstice. Yes, tomorrow night will be the longest night of the year, at which point the days will begin to lengthen and we'll be heading back to spring. But we know that we've got long, cold winter from that point forward. Hopefully we're prepped for it, we're ready for it, and we're ready to go into the new year of 2011. Uh, even more prepared than we've been in the past years. That's hopefully my goal for everybody out there. Whatever your level of preparedness is, I just hope that it's a little bit better going into each year. If you keep doing that, over time you'll build the most self-sufficient, self-reliant life that you possibly can. And I think that's just awesome. There's so many of you guys doing that. Today is Monday, and uh, as most Mondays, I have your emails of articles and questions and commentary uh, to respond to lined up. Uh, this week's going to be a bit shorter of a week. I am going to do a show um, on the uh, right up through the 23rd. That's Thursday. I'm going to take Christmas Eve off. I'm kicking around taking the week between Christmas and New Year's off. That's pretty much what I've done uh, before, and uh, this time we're not going away, though. Now, we're going to be here and because uh, we're getting so close to our move anyway. And uh, I'm thinking about doing a lot of work on some things, cleaning up the site, maybe even redesigning the main website, making it more friendly, making the features more easy to use, uh, working on finishing off the last bit of the things I need to do on this book, on the truth about money and some other things like that. So it might be a short week with a week break on the other end of it. Uh, but on the uh, 23rd on Thursday, we will be rebroadcasting the Christmas special with maybe a little bit of an additional uh, bit added in. Just wanted you guys to know that. Before we get to your questions today, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one, Common Sense Prep. Hey, if you're looking for all kinds of great stuff to help you be more prepared, that's all of a common sense nature and no tinfoil hattery whatsoever, check out Common Sense Prep. Remember, if you're part of the MSB, they do give you a great discount on all their Paladin Press books and Paladin Press DVDs. There's some really great titles there, 15% off everything. Doubt you'd make it for Christmas, but maybe a New Year's resolution type of thing. Some great stuff there to check out. Uh, next up today, Western Botanicals. One of my absolute favorite sponsors. I, I need to do more on herbal medicine and herbal use in general. I've actually been doing a lot of research for some shows into early January of the coming year on herbal uh, stuff and herbology. Uh, so uh, we got some more stuff coming like that. But I'll tell you what, it, it, I don't probably talk about it as much as I should, but um, herbal medicine is a huge thing for me. And understanding the healing power that exists in nature, and also understanding the way that modern science has just put the kibosh on everything like that. How we're told things like, oh, don't touch comfrey, it'll kill you, it'll kill your liver, in spite of, you know, thousands and thousands of years of safe use of something like comfrey. Um, if you want the truth about herbals, what they can do and their limitations. Check out Western Botanicals. They're a company you know you can trust. They've been a sponsor of ours now. Coming into early spring will be two years. They've stuck around. They've stayed with us. Great folks over there, Dr. Kyle Christensen. And they also support the Member Support Brigade. They have a preferred membership program. Uh, you get, I think, 50% off everything they sell. I mean, it's, it's a huge, or it's a 20, 25, sorry, 25% off everything they sell. Kyle Christensen just choked on his, uh, his herbal tea right now. 25% off everything they sell. The cost is $50 a year for that preferred membership. MSB, you get it for free. Covers your whole MSB. Uh, hold on with the MSB. I got some really, I got a cool sale coming right at the end about the MSB for Christmas. Um, next up though, do get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter if you use either of those platforms. If you don't use them, you don't use them, that's fine. But, uh, I basically got on Facebook and Twitter with CSP, uh, mainly because there's so many of you guys that do it. I just want you to know it's there and take advantage of it. I do throw some stuff out into the Twitter world and the Facebook fan page that doesn't go on the blog or on the show. So if you have an account there, you may want to hook up with us there. 
Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, and right now, through Christmas Day, all the way to the end of Christmas Day, I'm doing MSB for the first year for 30 bucks. Lowest price I've ever done. I've done it one other time, I think. It's, it's an awesome deal. How do you get the discount? You sign up with PayPal and you use discount code Christmas. Just use the word Christmas in the discount code field. You get the first year for 30 bucks. If you want to join by mail, if you want to join by US mail, use discount code Christmas and I'd write it on the top of the form and send a check or money order for 30 bucks. I will even do, I, I always take silver. I don't say this a lot. I'll take silver for MSB. Usually I do one ounce of AOCS value 50 silver or two ounces of any silver. I will take on this sale one ounce of silver of any variety of silver, including silver, uh, 90% US silver. So that would be about a buck 25. So a dollar 25 in junk silver coin. One ounce of silver of any kind, uh, or, uh, one ounce of AOCS silver. Any of that will be applicable to this sale. Just write Christmas on the order form and we're good to go. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. First thing I have up today is a big, huge, giant thank you to all of you guys. Huge, giant thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't say it enough. Why? TSP is officially podcast of the year 2010 in the general category for podcast awards. Um, to give you an idea of what a big, because if you look at this and go, well, you know, is this really a big deal or not? To me, it's a huge deal. Because what it gave us, a ton of exposure to people that have never heard about survivalism or prepping or anything like that. But two, and this is the bigger one, there were 4.2 million votes cast. Not in just our category, that would be a little bit extreme, but in the whole contest, 4.2 million votes. And we managed to win our category. To me, that's huge, and I can't say thank you enough, so I'll just say it one more time. Thank you for being the most awesome audience in all of podcasting. You guys really rock, and I think it's awesome that we were able to win that, and it's not my victory, it belongs to the audience, because you're the guys that made it happen. Thank you so much, and let's go on with, with the, uh, some of the stuff that we have lined up for today's show. We got some good stuff today. Uh, the first one I want to talk to you about, actually I'm just going to let you hear it first. I just got this this morning, and I'm like, this has to go on the air. Um, this is a young kid, and uh, he's absolutely amazing. His name is, uh, let's see, Aaron sent it to me. Let me pull up the link real quick for you. Burke Bear. Uh, Burke Bear. And this young kid is a bear, man. He's 11 years old. You're going to hear him. I'm going to bring him on for about five minutes. This is my hero of the week. I don't do it every week. Uh, it was something we did at one time, but now it's it's really... Uh, th this kid really has earned it. And you're going to hear him talk about the evils of Monsanto. You're going to hear him talk about genetically modified foods. And I want you to know something. If you don't get a chance to go watch the video, this kid doesn't have a script or a teleprompter. He's standing on a stage in front of an awful lot of people doing something apparently our president can't pull off. Speaking on topic, eloquently about a topic without a script. Here we go, uh, Bike Bear, 11 years old. My name is Burke Bear, and I'm 11 years old. I came here today to talk about what's wrong with our food system. First of all, I would like to say that I'm really amazed at how easily kids are led to believe all the marketing and advertising on TV, at public schools, and pretty much everywhere else you look. It seems to me like corporations are always trying to get kids, like me, to get their parents to buy stuff that really isn't good for us or the planet. Little kids especially are attracted by colorful packaging and plastic toys. I must admit, I used to be one of them. I also used to think that all of our food came from these happy little farms where pigs rolled in mud and cows grazed on grass all day. What I discovered was this is not true. I began to look into the stuff on the internet, in books, and in documentary films, in my travels with my family. I discovered the dark side of the industrialized food system. First, there's genetically engineered seeds and organisms. That is when a seed is manipulated in a laboratory to do something not into nature. Like taking the DNA of a fish and putting it into the DNA of a tomato. Yuck. Don't get me wrong. I like fish and tomatoes, but this is just creepy. The seeds, the seeds are then planted, then grown. The food they produce has been proven to cause cancer and other problems in lab animals. And people have been eating food produced this way since the 1990s. Most folks don't even know they exist. 
Did you know rats that genetically engineered corn had developed signs of liver and kidney toxicity? These include kidney inflammation and lesions and decreased kidney weight. Yet almost all the corn we eat has been altered genetically in some way. And let me tell you, corn is in everything. And don't even get me started on the confined animal feeding operations called CAFOs. <laughs> Conventional farmers use chemical fertilizers made from fossil fuels that they mix with the dirt to make plants grow. They do this because they've stripped the soil from all nutrients from growing the same crop over and over again. Next, more harmful chemicals are sprayed on fruits and vegetables, like pesticides and herbicides, to kill weeds and bugs. When it rains, these chemicals seep into the ground or run off into our waterways, poisoning our water too. Then they irradiate our food, trying to make it last longer, so it can travel thousands of miles from where it's grown to the supermarkets. So I ask myself, how can I change? How can I change these things? This is what I found out. I discovered that there's a movement for a better way. Now, a while back, I wanted to be an NFL football player. I decided that I'd rather be an organic farmer instead. That way... <laughs> greater impact on the world. This man, Joel Salton, they call him a lunatic farmer because he grows against the system. Since I'm homeschooled, I want to go hear him speak one day. This man, this lunatic farmer, doesn't use any pesticides, herbicides, or genetically modified seeds. And so for that, he's called crazy by the system. I want you to know that we can all make a difference by making different choices, by buying our food directly from local farmers or neighbors who you know in your life. Some people say organic or local food is more expensive, but is it really? With all these things I've been learning about the food system, it seems to me that we can either pay the farmer or we can pay the hospital. I know... definitely which one I would choose. I want you to know that there are farms out there, like Bill Keener and Sequatchie Coast Farms in Tennessee, whose cows do eat grass and whose pigs do roll in the mud, just like I thought. Sometimes I go to Bill's farm and volunteer so I can see up close and personal where the meat I eat comes from. I want you to know that I believe kids will eat fresh vegetables and good food and they know more about it and where it really comes from. I want you to know that there are farmers markets in every community popping up. I want you to know that me, my brother, and sister actually like eating baked kale chips. I try to share this everywhere I go. Not too long ago, my uncle said that he offered my six-year-old cousin cereal. He asked if he wanted organic toasted O's or the sugar-coated flakes. You know, the one with the big striped cartoon character on the front? My little cousin told his dad that he would rather have the organic toasted O cereal because Burke said he shouldn't eat sparkly cereal. And that, my friends, is how we can make a difference, one kid at a time. So next time you're at the grocery store, think local. Choose organic, know your farm, and know your food. Thank you. Well, how awesome. How freaking awesome is that? And like I said, this kid, if you watch the video, and I'm sure he's memorized what he's saying, but he's standing in front of a huge audience in the middle of a stage with no paper, no podium, no cue cards, no nothing, just saying what he thinks and what he feels, and that's awesome. He also mentioned some, you know, lunatics like Joe Saladin, who's lunatic because, well, he just... Gardens the way that people did for 10,000 years until, you know, modern agriculture came and started screwing everything up, raping the land, etc. But there's another little lunatic fringe that he mentioned there that I don't think he mentioned as being lunatic that I think a lot of Americans see as being lunatics. I certainly don't, and this kid's proof of it. Homeschooling. You notice this kid's been homeschooled? What does that say? What does that say to all the people that talk negatively about homeschoolers? You know, the kids can't, you know effectively communicate in the world and, and things like that. What, 10 years old, he can get up on a stage and say what he thinks without a teleprompter telling him what to say. This little kid is awesome, and I'd love to interview him on the Survival Podcast. If any of you guys can get in touch with this kid or his family and say, hey, this guy on, on this crazy lunatic guy on the radio named Jack Spierko has named you Hero of the Week for the week of Christmas, by the way. Um, for your statements on GMOs and, and, and uh, monoculture garden, uh, monoculture farming and things like that. Um, and he'd like to interview you and get your thoughts on this for everybody to hear, all 20,000 people in the audience. 
and uh, get me in touch with that young man. That would be awesome. I'd love to have him on the show. Again, salute to you, uh, young man, uh, uh, Burke, uh, hero of the week from the survivalpodcast.com. Um, gonna have to tell you that later on in today's episode, we're gonna hear uh, of Ask Clown of the Week. Uh, from no less than our Congress. So while we have an 11-year-old homeschooler being nominated as a hero, we have a congressman being nominated as an ass clown this week. And when you hear what he did, you'll know why. Let's, I got quite a few things lined up before we get to him, though. Uh, let's take the next one. This just kind of gels right in with organic farming and things like that. Uh, this email comes to me from a guy named John. John says, It seems you've got science on your side when you stated, if everyone would garden, we'd not have as much mental problems. I don't think it's quite how I put it, but I think I said something to the effect of, if everybody in America would just grow a little bitty garden in their backyard, pay attention to it, and grow a little bit of their own food, we would probably put half of the mental, uh, mental counselors and psychotropic drug manufacturers out of business. Um, I think we would have much better mental health if everybody were to have a garden. Well, it turns out, science says, Jack Spiracos, not a lunatic, at least not on this one. Uh, here's an article. It's on uh, Future Itty. Future Itty? I don't know how the heck you pronounce this. Future Itty. F-U-T-U-R-I-T-Y. Never heard of them before, but they have an article out. Feeling depressed? Get dirty. Emery U.S. Disruptions in ancient relationships with healthy microorganisms in soil, food, and the gut may be contributing to an increased rates of people suffering from depression. A new study published in Archives of General Psychiatry uh, finds that the modern world has become so clean that people are being deprived of bacterial, uh, bacteria immune systems have come to rely on, okay, Got it wrong. Let's try this again. A new study. I'm good at without a script. I'm not good at reading. I guess a new study published in Archives of General Psychiatry finds that the modern world has become so clean that people are being deprived of a ba the bacteria immune systems have come to rely on over long ages to keep inflama inflammation at bay. We've known for a long time that people with depression, even those who are not sick, have high levels of inflammation. I didn't know that. That's that's kind of interesting. Says Charles Rayson, associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences in, at Emory University. Since ancient times, benign microorganisms, sometimes referred to as old friends, have taught the immune system how to tolerate other harmless microorganisms and in the process reduced inflammatory responses that have been linked to the development of most modern illnesses from cancer to depression. Huh. Experiments are currently conducted to test the efficacy of treatments that use properties of these old friends to improve emotional tolerance. If exposure to administration of the old friends improves depression, the study says the important question of whether we should encourage measured re-exposure to benign environmental microorganisms will not be far behind. Researchers from the University of Colorado and University College of London uh, contributed to the study. And uh, here's a, a quick little video from the site, uh, kind of giving you a little bit more information on that. The essence of the hygiene hypothesis is that the modern world has become so clean that it's deprived us of contact with a whole range of microorganisms that we co-evolved with, that have always been with human beings. And many of these microorganisms are harmless. And because they're harmless, over time, they taught our bodies to tolerate other harmless things in the environment. And now what the hygiene hypothesis suggests is that in the modern world, because we're deprived of contact with these microorganisms, people that have genetic vulnerabilities to autoimmune conditions and inflammatory conditions are more likely to develop them because they've been removed from the type of training intolerance uh, that was provided by these microorganisms. And so what you see in the modern world is a huge increase in all sorts of autoimmune conditions, in all sorts of asthma, allergies, and we realize now, of course, major depression and other psychiatric conditions. And it really appears as if this loss of immune tolerance that, we, that were a gift to us from these microorganisms is a setup for all sorts of conditions. Uh, and, of course, in this paper, what we suggest is that it's also a setup for people that have genetic vulnerabilities to develop major depression. Uh, and there may actually be a lot more going on with that than, than I, I think a lot of the audience might realize. The understanding of inflammation and its, its positive and negative effects on the human body. Inflammation is designed to do certain things um, in a positive manner. If you 
hurt your arm or your leg really bad and it needs time to heal, inflammation in the area will immobilize the, the, the limb. And that will make you, you know, if your, your, your leg is all inflamed and it hurts, you don't want to walk on it, it makes you rest it. And that gives your body time to actually heal the damage. And in that role, inflammation is a positive thing. But inflammation is only positive if the problem itself can be healed by the body itself under the circumstances that the body's under. Uh, in other words, if you had a, a, a stick stabbed into your leg four inches deep into your thigh, there's going to be plenty of inflammation. But the stick's got to come out for the before the body can heal and, and close the wound. Because if the stick's still in there, you know, inflammation or not, you're, you're going to have a problem. Uh, treatment or not, you're going to have a problem. But then there's other times where we have hyper-inflammatory responses to things that are actually harmless to us. Most allergies, for instance, are hyper-inflammatory responses. The body sees the, the pollen of a mountain cedar tree as a danger and goes into an immunoresponse. Well, it doesn't harm you in any way. You could eat it. It won't hurt you unless you're allergic to it, right? But, but it, what I mean is there's no direct harm. It's your own body attacking it that causes this. And this inflammation has been linked to, as the study shows, all kinds of things from cancer to, to mental disorders. Well, it turns out now... The reason, or one of the probably many reasons, like the genetically modified food the kid just told us about, but one of the many reasons that we're having these problems today that we didn't have in these numbers in the past, you know, the myth of how people live so much longer today than they used to live, and as you take away infant mortality and death at childbirth, and things like death from wars and famines, then you just take people that lived with a reasonable amount of food and shelter, and they live just as long as we did today, And then today we have all of these critical conditions that they didn't even know about back then. What was going on? Well, one of it seems like there are these natural bacterium, natural things that are out there that get into our body when we do things like dig in the dirt. And these things teach our bodies to not respond aggressively to benign organisms. And since we are now sterilizing ourselves to the point where we have none of those things and we're wiping everything down with, with bleach and, and, and alcohol and peroxide everywhere we go, we're basically cleaning ourselves to death as a species. Isn't that great? So when I said get out there in the garden, it'll improve your mental state, I actually meant about the emotional change. It turns out there's a biological change as well. So part of your New Year's resolutions expand or grow that garden. It's better for you in more ways than you can imagine. And who knows what they'll find out it's about, you know, better for us about next. Uh, let's take another one from the audience here. Okay, this one comes to us from Jason. Jason says, funny this article was linked from CNN.com. I thought item four was pretty funny as it, as it covered uh, what I just listened to you say today. And uh, this article is on Mother Nature Network, MNN.com, and I guess he found it on CNN.com. But it's called Forever Foods, 10 Cooking Staples That Will Outlast You. And uh, I guess he was talking about rice. But let me go through the list with you uh, of the items that it says are basically forever foods. Now, I don't think you're going to live on these, but you know it's good to know things that you don't really have to worry about. Um, you know, surviving uh, storage uh, for long term. Number one that they list is sugar. Uh, number two, pure vanilla extract. Number three is um, rice, uh, which is, I think, what he was actually talking about. It was the fourth photo, but the third item. Uh, number four is cornstarch. Apparently, cornstarch damn near stores forever. Uh, the next one after that is honey which I pretty much knew that. Honey will outlast just about anything. Hard liquor, so uh, stock up on the Jack Daniels, because the Jack Daniels will last longer than you were. Will salt. Uh, salt will last forever, because we dig it out of the ground and we get it out of the ocean where it's been for millions of years. But if it's uh, salt that's in any kind of a, a finely ground form, it has to be kept drier. It'll turn into a salt block. Uh, number nine, corn syrup, though I don't think you should really use corn syrup because uh, most of it's made with genetically modified corn at this point. Uh, number nine is maple syrup, and the last one is distilled white vinegar. So those items will all last longer than you will. If I would have been doing this list, I think I would have included dried beans and dried wheat with this, but uh, I think they were looking more for things for your daily cooking 
uh, than for things to actually live on. But, uh, I mean, wheat we can make flour out of, right? But uh pretty interesting article. It does show that people are starting, you know, because this is mainstream. It's starting to show that people are paying attention to this stuff. So, uh, you know, I'll put a link in today's show notes. You can read, like, all of the individual components and what it says about each one of these. But I just thought that was interesting. Uh Thanks, Jason, for sending that in. So this comes from Don, and Don says, uh, What do you make of a recent agreement to install Iranian ballistic missiles in Venezuela? Reported in the European press, uh, silence in the U.S. press. Actually, there's not silence in the U.S. press. I heard about the Iranian missiles on Fox News uh, when they first happened a, a couple weeks ago that they were going to do this. Now, what kind of missiles are they placing there? They're placing these crappy medium-range Iranian missiles um, that are that would be capable of reaching some parts of the southern United States uh, from Venezuela. Their targeting capabilities are severely limited, Um, think of them like uh, a little bit more sophisticated than a Nazi buzz bomb or V1 uh, or V2 from uh, from World War II. Uh, they could kind of send them out of place and, and, and hit a general area with them. Um, something as simple as our patriots could knock them from the sky pretty easily if we ever felt the need to. Um, I'll tell you, here's how I feel about it overall. I live in the southern United States. I live in an area that they say possibly, maybe, possibly could be impacted by one of these things. It ain't going to keep me up at night. I'm more worried that our economy will implode. Then the Iranians are going to launch a missile from Venezuela and blow up my house. I really am. Neither of these countries currently have nuclear capabilities. Uh, even if they did, to do so would be suicide. We got to remember that Venezuela is a nation that, if the, in size and scope and military strength, if we wish to, we could eliminate from the space of planet Earth in a matter of hours. Especially if they used a nuclear weapon on us and we were to retaliate in kind, there could be absolutely nothing left. So, and I don't think we should do that. Don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is that the people there know that, and people here know that. And here's what's really going on. We're doing an awful lot of saber-rattling about invading Iran. And I personally think we have no business invading Iran. We've done enough with our invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. We've made enough of a mess, especially in Afghanistan. The last thing we need to do is even be thinking about this. And what Iran is saying is, you know, we prefer that you didn't invade our nation. We might be crazy in your eyes, but it's our nation and we're going to run it our way. I don't like the way, I mean, I think the Iranians, especially the ones running that country, are freaking fruit bat nuts. They really are. Um, but they also know they can't win a war with the United States. What they're trying to do is position themselves in a place that says, a war with us won't be painless. So please don't do it. Not quite that nicely. Hugo Chavez, that guy's a nut too, but he's not as crazy as uh, some people have made him out to be. I'd rather deal with him than... Uh, Kim Jong fruit bat from North Korea, definitely. He also seems to be pretty friendly with Barack Obama. Um, I almost wonder if this is being done with a U.S. nod. Yeah, go ahead and do it. We don't really care. Because uh, we haven't really done anything to try to stop it. We've run our mouths a little bit in the international community, but the international communities look like, dude, you have weapons that can reach any spot on the planet, anywhere, any place, any time, with the most destructive munitions that exist. You have planes that can avoid radar and fly in and bomb any city in, a, in the world uh, within a couple hours of being ordered to do so. Uh, these guys point a couple uh, 55-gallon drums strapped together with some bombs in them at, at you uh, and saying, don't invade us, doesn't really you know, come up to the same level of capability. So uh, my view is, do I like Hugo Chavez and what he's done down there in Venezuela? No. Do I like the Iranians? Hell no. Um, is this a good thing? No. Is this something that you should worry about? Absolutely not. It really isn't. I mean, it really... You'd have to have something wrong with you for this to really, really worry. I mean, honestly, you're more likely to get cancer from genetically modified food than you are to get blown up by a Venezuelan-launched Iranian missile. Seriously. It's... uh. I think it's time that our country maybe back off some of our insistence that other nations do what we say. And, you know, take a look at the WikiLeaks stuff. Not all the stuff being said about us, you know, what needs to be done and let's execute this guy or put him in jail forever or whatever. Look at the actual documents that will come out, some of the ways we've been conducting ourselves, some of the things that this nation's been doing financially, economically, militarily, um, black ops-wise. 
You know, we're not the nice friends that the rest of the world is told we are when you look at some of the things that we do. And I don't mean us, the people. I mean our government. And um, this is one example to me of a nation taking a step towards self-preservation. Again, I don't support it. Uh, I don't like it. But I absolutely understand it. Uh, those are two different things. And hopefully the audience out there listening to me today won't think I've already uh, signed up to be a Chavez supporter or something and understand what I'm saying. That if we have the right to say, you know what, we have a right to have enough weapons to eliminate all life on the planet to defend ourselves, then another nation has a right to say, hey, we also could take some steps to ensure our existence, even if you don't like our existence. Um, let's take another one. Uh, this next one comes to us from, who is it? Jim. Jim says, do you think a term like reliance footprint or dependency footprint to counter this carbon footprint nonsense would be useful and positive? Um, yeah, I, 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 maybe. But I don't like it because the carbon footprint stuff is crap. All right, If you are actually worried about your carbon footprint, you are also wasting energy that doesn't need to be expended. You really are. I, I, I've said this before. I always get a rash of emails from the true believers in global warming. You don't trust the government about anything. The government lies about this, lies about that, puts fluoride in our water, does this, does that, covers this up, blows up this country's uh, leader and, and assassinates. The government's the most awful thing in the world, but they're telling us the truth about carbon. I mean, come on. I, I don't, the people that like totally trust the government and then believe carbon, I get them. You guys that believe about it, but don't trust the government, I don't get you guys at all. I really don't. Um, but the reason I don't like the term dependency footprint isn't because it isn't real, because I think it would help market carbon footprints. It'd be like, look, they got that from there. But I wonder from the audience, can we be creative? Can we come up with something? Can we come up with a term to describe, and, and uh, like carbon is meant to, the carbon footprint is meant to be a negative thing. The bigger it is, the worse it is. Can we come up with a terminology for dependency? How big is your dependency? Is it your dependency sphere? I don't know. It's an interesting idea. It'd be something I'd be interested in getting behind in marketing, but I don't want to come like a one-off of the carbon footprint bullshit. I really don't. But I would like to be able to come off with and say, hey, look, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a problem in America. We're too dependent, and we're calling this our dependency something. If we can come up with the right term for that, I will go on a full-scale marketing blitz with it. I'll try to get it into mainstream media, and maybe it's not dependency. Maybe it's another word. Can you guys get together and crowdsource? Let's maybe start a start a forum thread on this or something, or a, in the comments section of today's show notes, or wherever you want to do it, Facebook, Twitter, I don't care. However you got, you guys run it. And you guys come up with, how do we describe the level of dependency of the average American? And please don't say pathetic. Right? I mean, be serious. Let's come up with a real name. And I think maybe we could make a big push with this. Maybe this is something we could get into mainstream media. Uh, but again, I don't like footprint. And I don't like footprint because it immediately gets associated with carbon footprint. And because of that, because of that, it actually, if we were, had any success with it, I think it would help spread the carbon footprint nonsense message. But uh, really interesting thought there, Jim. Thanks for sending that one in. Um, the next one comes to me from Scott. Scott says, uh, as we all know, the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. As I understand it, that means that in the U.S. we are in a unique position. For example, oil is priced in U.S. dollars. Every other country in the world needs to purchase dollars. They do this either via trade with the U.S. or by converting their currency for U.S. dollars. Hence, in the U.S., technically, we could have a GDP of zero, uh, produce, produce U.S. dollars, and use those to buy oil, of course, uh, at that extreme, our trading partners would not accept the currency. My real question topic for discussion is, what will it mean to the U.S. and us as preppers if the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, and do you think this will happen and when? Scott, okay. Scott, first of all, I don't know when. I have absolutely no idea when, but it certainly will. No nation uh, gets to be an empire forever. And all we have to do is look to past empires to see that every empire at some point ceased to be an empire. And by having the dollar as the U.S. reserve currency, the U.S. effectively is the economic empire of the world. And you're exactly right with how it works. If, if Britain is going to buy uh, oil from Iran, technically the transaction has to happen in dollars or at least directly 
uh, in proportion to dollars. So the major global commodities are priced in dollars, but there actually isn't anything that requires this. And that's why we've seen recent agreements between like Russia and China. Russia and China basically said, we'll exchange commodities and we'll exchange, you know, our currency for your currency and screw the dollar. We won't use it. And what does it really do? Not much. It really doesn't. It's, it's not to the level that some people would lead you to believe that it is in the day-to-day transactional world. In other words, what I mean is this. Great Britain is not, the pound sterling is not the, the, the world reserve currency. Yet it's very strong compared to the dollar. It's almost a two-to-one in favor of the pound. Great Britain has a lot of problems right now, but they are problems of their own making, very similar to problems we're going to have in another 10 years or 15 years, because we're just 10 to 15 years behind Britain. If you want to see our future, look at them. And we're spending the same type of way, and we're trying to do the same type of things, and they've done more than us, and now they're paying the piper, and maybe 20 years behind Great Britain. But... Other than they're screwing up their own economy by trying to provide social programs for everything and pay for everything a person could ever need, whether they do anything productive or not, other than that, their nation functions just fine, even though they're not the world reserve currency. Australian dollars are not the world reserve currency, and yet Australia is a stable nation. What it would mean for the U.S. is a lack of ability to pull the strings the way that we do now, and I'm not so sure that would be a bad thing. The only downside is if anybody steps up to become the world reserve currency. See, to me, in a perfect you know, free market world, there wouldn't be a reserve currency. Everybody's currency would float against everybody else's currency, and if we were buying from France, we'd use euros, because that's what they're using now. Uh, 20 years ago, we would have used francs, so we would exchange based on the value franc against the, the value of the dollar. And it's just like right now, if I sell to you, if so, you buy something from my store, and you're in England, well, you pay with pounds, it gets converted to dollars during the transaction. Well, if I was in Mexico, you could pay with pounds, it gets converted to pesos. And it's only these big mega trade deals the, the dollar gets to control, and that means we get to exhort un, um, uh, what was the word I'm looking for? Um, excessive control over other nations, especially smaller nations. Because what we do to our dollar, strengthening or weakening it, could have a dramatic effect on global trade as a whole. So the, the, that direct effect is, you know, it's not that big a deal. The, the big effect, the real problem is that concept of us being the world's reserve currency is why we're considered the safest investment in the world. It's what keeps massive amounts of money pouring into this country to buy treasury bonds. It's what makes nations loan us trillions of dollars. And if we lost the status, odds are we would have to pay more for our money. We'd have to raise interest rates to attract investors from outside because our bond rating would fall, which it might do anyway. So it's more about the effect of how much money countries are willing to loan us. So how would it affect us? Either really, really bad or not at all, or somewhere in between, depending on what we do between now and then. If we put this country back to a stable public money supply, if we stop running our currency based on debt, it doesn't really affect us at all. If we stick with a Federal Reserve, and our money comes with interest due... It can destroy the very fabric of our nation and economically devastate us and put us into a bankruptcy similar to what the Soviet Union went through. It's our choice. We get to either fix the freaking problem and stop basing our money on debt, and then, if we're not the world's reserve currency, it's not really that big a deal, other than our government can't exhort control over foreign nations to the level we do now. And we do have to worry about this. If not us, then whom? If it's the Chinese, are they going to be worse than us? Is there going to be retribution and payback? If it's the BRIC alliance, we're probably in better shape than it's just being the one nation acting as a reserve can exhort its will very easily. If it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, you know, India and Brazil are pretty friendly to the United States. That might not be as big a deal, but it's still, a, you know, the, the thing is, it's like you've been in charge all this time and you don't get to be in charge anymore. It's going to be clear that you're going to worry about, well, who's the next guy that's going to be in charge? And what are they going to do? And how are they going to influence us? So that's a risk. But if we went off any reserve currency, where each nation 
had its exchange rate float with other nations, where nobody pegged, so that's part of the problem right now, the, the, the Chinese pegged their currency directly to the dollar. Then they turned to the Russians and said, let's exchange directly, and we'll put the dollar out, but they haven't unpegged their currency from the dollar. And what I mean by that is they set a specific weakness. They want to stay under the dollar in weakness. And no matter what the dollar does, th their currency just follows it. Not by a natural market force, but by internal manipulation, by internal fiat. The, the Chinese government just says, if the dollar goes here, th then our currency goes there. If the dollar goes down, we drop ours down enough to stay weak. If it goes up, we strengthen it just by edict. So right now, things like the Russian-Chinese alliance exchanging their, their currencies directly doesn't really have an impact. It's, it's, it's more saber-rattling. Could it happen? Yeah. Will it happen? Yeah. When will it happen? I have no idea. And anybody that tells you they do is full of crap. Um, it's just impossible to look that far ahead and actually know for a fact when something like this is going to happen. The reason we can say it will happen is, again, we can look at any empire. If you doubt this nation's an empire, please look at an article uh, called How Money Created Slavery that I just put on TRTAM.com. Look at the video underneath it. It's actually three videos put together in a playlist for you. And at that point, you'll realize there's no way to make an argument that the United States is not an economic empire. Not an economic republic, an economic empire. And the emperor's will is, is, is exhorted over the people of this nation and to a lesser degree over the entire planet. Uh, let's go ahead and take another. I know it's sobering, and I know you may disagree, but before you disagree and write me hate mail, do me a favor. Watch the videos, read the article, and, and do some research. Uh, you might find that I'm more right than I really want to be about this. So I promised you that we had an Ask Clown of the Week this week, and here he is. And you probably, a lot of you probably heard about this. Um, it kind of slid under the radar with a little bit of mainstream coverage. Happened, uh, I guess, about two weeks ago, or a week ago anyway. And it's a gentleman. He's a Republican. He's a senator. Uh, now the uh, head of the banking committee uh, in the Senate. <clears throat> and his name is Spencer Bacchus. This is what Spencer Bacchus said. I'll, I'll link to the whole article. I'm just going to give you his quote. In Washington, the view is that the banks are to be regulated, and my view is that Washington and the regulators are there to serve the banks, Bacchus told the Birmingham News in an interview. <clears throat> I'm going to read this again. And if you're doing, you know, I know a lot of you guys listen while you're working or doing, stop and listen. Give me, give me 30 seconds of your time to really take this one in. A United States senator said the following in an interview. In Washington, the view is that the banks are to be regulated. In my view is that Washington and the regulators are there to serve the banks. In other words, Mr. Bacchus believes the United States Senate exists for the purpose of serving the banks. Do you want me to tell you the real problem with this? He's correct. Now he's an ass clown to say it, because of how he's saying it. He's saying it in the effect of, it, it should be so. That's what our job is. Where he's right, and if you watch this video that I just talked about with the economic empire, if you read my article on trtam.com, you'll see he is right. The government today does exist to serve the banks. How do you think they got a trillion dollars of bailout? How do you think you know almost $4 trillion went in backdoor deals to financial institutions all over the world. If our government didn't exist to serve the banks, they wouldn't be doling out this money. So he's an ass clown because he thinks it should be that way. But even an ass clown can be right. We can learn from this statement. You prove to me, prove to me right now, that our government doesn't serve the banks, that they're truly regulating anything. That when we get a financial reform bill, over half of it was written by the very financial institutions through their lobbyists that it's supposed to regulate. And the biggest offenders end up being exempt from the whole thing. Do you know Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and AIG are exempt from the financial reform bill passed earlier this year? And a host of other companies as well, by the way. The ones that caused the biggest, Goldman Sachs, exempt, doesn't include them. we got to bring all this abuse, we got to bring it to control. And this ass clown accurately says, but the government exists to serve the banks. So, let me tell you what I think. I think if this ass clown is in your state, in other words, if you're from Alabama, this ass clown needs to be inundated, inundated with a, with a resounding message. You know what? You're right. Freaking change it. Fix it. You are not here to serve the banks. You're here to serve the freaking people. 
We sent your ass to Washington. How about you do the people's business, not the bank's business? This guy is asked. This guy, you know what? We're almost at the end of the year. That statement in this climate where the Republicans just took such a big leap forward with the help of independence and the Tea Party. For him to come out and say that publicly in a newspaper interview. Ask Clown of the Week, my ass. Ask Clown of 2010, Spencer Bacchus, Republican Senator from the state of Alabama. This guy needs to be ripped to shreds, he needs to be sent home packing, he needs to be freaking fired. And I wanted to use a different word with an F in there, but I don't use it on this show. This guy's got to go. You folks in Alabama, you got to take up, take up arms on this. Not real arms, don't go get your gun, right? Metaphorical arms. In fact, I'll say this. When this guy comes up for re-election, I don't get involved with politics very often. I will do what I can to help whoever runs against this ass clown raise funds. I want this guy gone. I want him out. If he told the truth and said, and it should not be, that would be different. I would love a United States senator to come out right now and say, in Washington we exist to serve the banks and we need to change that. I would That would be hero of 2010. But to come out and say that's how it is and that's how it should be, this guy's got to go, folks. Um, don't let me get too ramped up here. I'm going to try to take another one here because uh, this, this one really makes my blood boil. Um, here's another one. God, I mean, you guys just sent me a lot of stuff in the last week that's, uh, that's infuriating. Um, this one comes from Eric. And Eric says, looks like California is going to go ahead and do carbon taxes uh, regardless of what the federal government does. So let me read a bit of this article to you and then surprise you with my take on it not being quite as opposed as you would think I am based on how opposed I am to cap and tax. Um, California establishes carbon market by Juliet Elpern on post-carbon perspective on the key climate energy issues that face us. You know what, any of these carbon idiots that have these blogs and stuff, if you can get any of them to come on this show, and I'll be very polite to them, I would love to debate any of these idiots with real facts about CO2 and its effect on our atmosphere. If you can line one of these idiots up for me, please do it. And I won't call them an idiot when I bring them on the show, by the way. I will be very nice, we'll go with general rules of debate, and I will tear their, tear their ass in half for them. Because there's no way you can stand up to fact with this argument. But let's let it go. Let's let it go, Jack. Relax. I'm going to go home. Bring it in. All right. Here's the article. Um, California establishes carbon market. While cap and trade may be dead in Washington, D.C., it's alive and well in California. Late Thursday, the California Air Resources Board approved the establishment of a carbon market that will allow the state's greenhouse gas emitters to buy and sell emission allowances. The new regulation will cover 360 businesses representing 600 facilities. It has two phases. In 2012, all major industrial sources and utilities will be covered. By 2015, distributors and transporters of fuels and natural gas and other fossil fuels will be included. California aims to reduce overall carbon output 15% by 2020 compared to current levels under the program as mandated under the state's landmark 2006 climate law, AB 32. Just this fall, the state's voters rejected Proposition 23, which would have suspended this law. Okay. Uh, you can read the rest of the article if you want to. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not opposed to this. Did you just drop your coffee or your beer, depending on what time of day you're listening? Carbon tax that Jack's not opposed to. What the hell's going on here? State of California's doing it. I think it's great. I think it's a dumb law. I think it's stupid. I think it's bad for California. But California voters could have stopped it. If Proposition 23, you guys out there on the West Coast, you could have done this. You could have made it go away. You didn't. You made a choice at the state level. States are allowed to do stupid things, as long as they're not unconstitutional. Because when a state does something dumb enough, what happens? People that run businesses and have their lives in those states say, I've had the frick enough. You guys are doing this stuff? Fine. Keep it, and they leave, and they go to another state. That is a constitutional republic. That's how it's supposed to work. States are supposed to be able to do dumb things, because if we allow the system to work, stupidity will fix itself. So what do I see? I see a major exodus of business and people from California, unlike anything we've already seen from it in the past. California is going bankrupt. It is a sinking ship. It is failing, failing, failing. Now, my problem, the federal government will bail them out. If we'll let this state fail, if we'll let California fall flat on its freaking ass, this is the greatest thing in the world. 
How could it be? Well, let's put it this way. Let's say California runs a carbon tax and in 10 years, they completely decimate their state's revenue. All of this cap and tax money they thought they were going to get, it leaves. It goes elsewhere. It goes to places like Nevada. It goes to places like Arizona. Maybe it gets really smart and it goes to places like Wyoming or South Dakota. Not that I wish these California nut jobs on you guys up there, but you get my point. There's 49 other states to go to that don't do this stupid crap. So if 10% of your best industry producers and workers and citizens leave, it hurts. It hurts an awful lot. So then what happens? Well, California goes into a dismal spiral downward worse than before. The state fails. It welches on its payments. It doesn't pay its bonds. It doesn't pay its employees. Or it pays them at a reduced rate. It has to restructure. And it has to start conducting itself in a manner that will bring businesses back to the state. All the other states look at this and go, Oh, this is what cap and tax does. Their electric bill is 50% more than ours is. Or maybe 100% more than ours is. And it destroys the economy. You know, we don't want that. See, that's how a republic's supposed to work. Again, states with the approval of their people. As long as it's not unconstitutional, and I don't see anything about this that I can make a case for being unconstitutional. Um, I can say it's very anti-libertarian. I can say the founders wouldn't like it, but I, and if you can, please let me know. I can't point to a specific part of the Constitution that if I were sitting as a Supreme Court Justice, I could say this law is unconstitutional. Especially when approved by and then the, 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 the state's people were given the opportunity to, to repeal it, and in both cases that failed. Now, i got to let the will of the people work itself out. i got to let California do something dumb. Federal government should view the states sort of like children, but adult children that have their own lives, not children to be lorded over. And sometimes when your kid does something dumb, you let them do something dumb. In fact, the, the feds being the parent I don't like at all. Moreover, I think it's like we're 50 brothers and sisters, the states, right? And the Fed is us collectively as a family. That's a better way to look at it. That I feel much better about stating it that way. And the other 49 kids can look at one of their siblings and go, and this is dumb, but you know what? Sometimes you got to let him do it, and he'll figure it out for himself, right? We all have family members like that. You know, or it, my, my analogy last week, it's a great big company with 50 divisions, and each division has multiple subdivisions. And one of our divisions is doing something dumb. Well, as long as we don't have to bail them out, you know, we'll help them restructure after this proves, you know, maybe they'll prove that we're wrong. They won't. I don't believe that. But I'm saying in, in any given case, the state can make a case by being successful with something that we think is a failure. And if they are, then they attract the best people to that state. That's how it's supposed to work. So this is stupid. But again, man, if you guys... If you guys can in any way, shape, or form get me one of these carbon yahoos on this show for a legitimate civil debate, bring them on, man. I would love the opportunity to do that. And the more intelligent, the more articulate, and the more educated, the better. All right, let's go ahead and take another one. Really, really easy one comes to me from Jesse. Jesse, have you ever made biltong from venison? I'm getting ready to make some biltong soon, and I'd rather use venison in the freezer than go buy beef. It seems to me it would have a better choice because venison is much leaner than beef. If so, is there anything I should do differently than if I were making it with beef? Uh, yes, 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 do it. Just do it. Don't worry about it. It's all the same. Um, in fact, I would much rather eat venison anything than beef anything. And biltong is specifically perfect for things like um, buffalo, deer, elk. If it's red meat, you can make biltong out of it. About the only concerns that I have with uh, any kind of red meat game, uh, like elk or deer or moose or anything like that, would be CWD or chronic wasting disease. Uh, but that is a, a condition that's only transmitted through the soft tissue marrow of the bone. So since I bone all my meat, since I don't take a, a hacksaw and cut through the bones uh, of the legs, let's say, to make steaks or something like that, since I debone all the meat and that bone is never cut open, I have zero worries about chronic wasting disease. Not that biltong versus cooking would even, you know, that's why you do that in the first place. Uh, CWD can be transmitted even in cooked meat. Uh, but as far as uh, the safety, you're safer with a piece of deer meat no matter what you do with it than you are uh, as far as being safe with a piece of commercial beef. So definitely biltonging venison, the way to go. Like I said, probably one of the easiest ones uh, I've ever had to answer. Um, next one comes from Eric. 
Eric says, look at the story below. Another reason we need to be more self-sufficient. Another reason to get something like a Berkey water filter. Listen to this one, folks. A U.S. study has large amounts of likely uh, carcinogenic. uh, U.S. water has large amounts of likely carcinogen uh, in a study. Washington AFP, the U.S. environmental group, has found that drinking water in 35 American cities contains hexylvent chromium, a probable carcinogen. Uh, the Washington Post reported on Sunday, the study by the Environmental Working Group, first nationwide analysis measuring the presence of chemical in U.S. water systems is to be made public on Monday, uh, the Daily reported. Uh, the group found hexylvent, that's the best I can do with it, folks, hexylvent chromium in the tap water of 31 out of 35 cities sampled. Of those, 25 had levels that exceeded the goal proposed in California, which has been trying aggressively to reduce the chemical in its water supply. I'll, I'll, I'll link to this for you so you can look at it. I also want to tell you something else that came out, and big props and credits to Alex Jones once again for making people aware of this. Uh, turns out the state of Texas has water, especially along the Gulf region, with um, radioactivity in it, uranium in our water. There's uranium in the water in Texas. Isn't that great? Uh, radiation levels are so low that if you were to surround yourself with this water for hours and hours and hours, it wouldn't do anything to you. It's completely harmless. But when you swallow it and those little particles and gamma rays and stuff are inside your body, it's equivalent to swallowing a radiation knife and gets really close to some things and can cause cellular damage and stuff like that. Oh, and they've known about it for a very long time. So... If you think my recommendation that you filter your water is extreme uh, because you don't believe in the fluoride monster, how about the chromium monster? How about the radiation monster? And yes, yes, Berkey's will remove a large portion of radioactivity from water. And the less that's there, the more effectively it can remove what is there. Now, I'm not saying your water has uranium in it. I don't know. But I'll link to the article about Texas. I'll link to this article. All I'm telling you, all I'm telling you is one way or another... Our water is not as safe to drink as we're being told, and we need to do something about it, take personal responsibility for it. Uh, the last question to me t- today comes from Tom. Tom says, uh, Jack, there's a whole lot of stuff being uh, trumped up right now about giving tax breaks to the wealthy and cutting taxes for everybody. But the way I see it, we're not actually cutting taxes at all, are we? We're just extending the tax cut that already exists. So all we're doing is keeping taxes where they are. No one's being given anything. There is no tax cuts Why are we being lied to? Well, you're being lied to because most of us will believe it, right? We're giving a tax break to a billionaire, you know, and, and you know the people that are that are not being having their taxes raised that the Democrats wanted to raise the taxes for uh, at the two hundred fifty thousand dollar threshold are not billionaires, you know. And understand that that two fifty that number is joint income. Let me tell you something: a husband and wife with two kids living in New York City that make one hundred twenty five thousand apiece, they are not even close to wealthy. They're probably living worse uh, than a couple in the Midwest that makes $40,000 apiece as far as quality of life. And it doesn't even really matter. I mean, it comes down to the fact that who is to decide that we should tax you more because you made more? I mean, the very nature of our income tax system is those people are already paying. The people that are the wealthiest in America are already paying most of the taxes. So how much more should they pay? But let's let that all go, because there's actually an answer to this question you might be surprised about. They're not giving tax breaks to anybody. Actually, they are. They're cutting the Social Security taxes temporarily. They're calling it, pay when you hear payroll taxes, that's not your withholding for federal. They're cutting Social Security taxes. Problem is, we really can't afford to, because the whole program's going broke in the first place. This is going to create a bigger problem for Social Security in the future. But yes, Social Security taxes are being reduced. I'm not sure how long for or under what specific terms, but that's part of the deal. They're also extending unemployment benefits. So we are cutting revenue, and I don't mean we're cutting revenue by not raising the taxes, because I don't think that would actually make more revenue. I think if we let the taxes go back up, the government would get less money because there would be more layoffs and more cutting. And Because I'm telling you what, when a guy that makes a million dollars a year When you jack his taxes up and he has to pay you more, do you know what he does? He takes it out of his business. If he's become accustomed to that income, if he's bet on that income for his life plan, and you you, you go in and you say, okay, we're going to take an extra $100,000 away from you this year, you know what he says? Fine. Then I'm going to go cut 
about $150,000 in expenses out of my business. I'm going to do it in a way that looks like the expense is still there, but the employee drawing the expense is gone. I'm going to play voodoo with the books. You'll get your extra money, but I'm going to keep my income, and that guy's losing his job, and that guy stops spending in the economy. That guy stops paying his income taxes. That guy stops drawing off all the rest of the things in the system as a consumer. And it dovetails down to other people because the guy that he was a customer to now has less business and there's less revenue overall. Let me put the tax thing in perspective for you. The lower the taxes, the more money that goes to the government. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but let me ask you a question. When Walmart or Target or anything like that wants more money, do they get a big announcement? Come to Walmart. We've raised our prices. Where they put things on sale. They put things on sale. And then they sell more units at less profit, but their total profit is higher. Since the government, since the government has a zero cost for taxes. It's not like when I pay my taxes, I actually get, I buy something from them. That goes all through programs and plans, and we all know where it really goes. It goes to pay the debt. I mean, don't forget that. 100% of income tax in this country right now is funding new borrowing and the interest on the debt. Our income tax pays for the Fed. And nothing else. You don't build roads with income tax, gas taxes do. You don't build schools, property taxes do. Federal income tax pays for the Federal Reserve. So another thing, if you don't believe it, check the numbers. The book will be out uh, probably early next week, at least a beta version and download only. The real truth about money. But yeah, they actually did cut taxes. They cut Social Security taxes for everybody, and they're not raising taxes. Republicans are pissed. Because it's more spending. Democrats are pissed because we've given something to the wealthy. And we've made the wealthy the enemy. The reality is, listen very closely as I close up today's show. Before you ever get involved in any of this freaking class warfare bullshit that they want you to take a side on. And they don't care what side you take. Please understand this. They don't care if you hate the wealthy or you love the wealthy. They don't care. As long as you take a side and you stay divided. The reality is the wealthiest elite... Don't care what the tax rate is, because they control the money in the first place. And they can create money out of thin air from the Fed and from fractional reserve banking. And it doesn't matter how they're taxed, it won't affect the temperature of their pool by one degree. And the people that run our government and the people that run the elite financial layers don't really care. And those are the billionaires and multimillionaires. And the people that are actually affected by this are the people that are just like you, but have worked just a little bit harder and gotten just a little bit further, and one day you may be there too. So don't pick a side. Choose independence for yourself, individual sovereignty. And any time you see a message come from CNN, Fox News, the government, the banks, anywhere that puts you at odds with your fellow Americans, realize... The people delivering the message know exactly what they're doing. They're dividing you. They're splitting you in half. Because they know that our population only has the capability to be really mad and really focused on one issue at a time. And as long as we can split the anger on two sides of that issue, we never get anything done and they get to do what they want. But we have to make a decision of our own. Do we worry about that fact? Or do we worry about creating individual sovereignty in our own lives? Do we worry about creating individual liberty in our own lives? Do we take it back? Do we take it back one step, one little bit at a time? That's my plan. I'm taking it back for me. I suggest you take it back for you and your family by making individual choices regarding your rights and your responsibilities to ensure those rights are not stripped from you. And by taking the actions that provide a little bit more independence for you every day until you get enough independence from the system that whatever they say, you either don't care or you care very little. But please remember, your fellow American is not the enemy. The people pulling the strings at the top of the empire want you divided with your brothers and sisters. The only way we're going to fix this is to stop fighting amongst ourselves and understand where the real danger really comes from. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs.
Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.